um, do you know, do you know who it's, it's impossible not to like? And I know you're all thinking Martha Ware, but that's not the answer to the question. <laughs> do you know who it's impossible not to like? It, it's this person. It, it's the person who stopped and helped you, helped you and wanted nothing in return. That is the person who is, it's impossible not to like that person. Um, in, in 1998, uh, my great-grandmother died on my mom's side. So it was my mother's grandmother had passed away. And so we got the call, and my dad was going to officiate the funeral in Louisiana. My mom, she sang. She was going to sing uh, at, at the funeral. And so we got in our, our Windstar van and took off for Louisiana. The funeral was the next day. And then about 10 o'clock at night, we started to have transmission issues in our, in our van. And so we, we pull over, and again, you know, this is before GPS and Google and, you know, smartphones and all that stuff. So we pull off, and cars having trouble. We pull off, and we find this gas station in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there's just nothing. There's no streetlights, no nothing. There's just this gas station. And we go in, we stop the car, and the car won't even start now. Car won't turn over. Car's not going anywhere. And so my dad goes in the gas station and says, "Hey, you know, we're we're stuck. Um, do you know anybody who you know owns a tow tow truck service or who can come help us?" Yeah, sure. You can borrow our phone. And so my dad calls this tow truck, and you know, it's ten o'clock at night. It's ten o'clock at night. I have a younger sister. You know, I'm about oh geez, I'm about eleven years old at the time. My sister's like uh, eight years old, and you know, it's not it's not looking good because we you know we don't know what's going to happen next. We're in the middle of nowhere, and so I remember we were sitting in the van, and my mom is just sobbing. My mom is just crying. You know, she's close to her grandmother and stuff, and now it doesn't look like we're going to make it. And so my mom is just sobbing in the front. My sister is next to me, and she's over here praying like a Pentecostal, like out loud. You know what I mean? And my dad, my dad, who's the pastor, he's outside kicking rocks, saying something to God, but it's not very nice. And so, and if you're wondering what I'm doing, my mom's crying, my sister's praying, my dad's kicking rocks. I'm an anxious person, but I get really anxious when people are upset. And so I'm just at the window looking at everybody else. He doesn't look good. She doesn't look good. I don't know what my sister's doing. We were not taught that at a Nazarene church. And I just, I, then now I'm anxious and I'm nervous. And so then the tow truck gets there and he looks at it and he goes, yeah, I don't know what's happening with this car, but it's, it's, it's not going anywhere tonight. And my mom literally just let out like this wail. Like now my mom is just wailing, you know, she's lamenting. She's so sad. It's so bad. And, you know, the tow truck guy's like, what's wrong with her? And so my dad explains, like, well, we're on our way to Louisiana. The funeral is tomorrow, you know, at, at noon. And, you know, it was her grandmother and stuff. And he's telling her all this. And he's like, well, you know, the nearest place to get this fixed is in Jackson. And that's like an hour, hour away from here. That's, that's the only people who are going to be able to help you. So it's just, it's not looking good at all. Everybody's distraught. And so there's kind of a moment where it's like, all right, what are we going to do? And he says, you know, we can put you in a hotel for the night, but then I'm going to have to get your car to Jackson. And so, and so he, he kind of views everything that's going on, and, and then he just goes, I'll tell you what, I, I have a car at my house, my own personal car. Um, it, it'll get you there. Why don't you and your family, I'll go get my car for you. You and your family load up in my car. Take it to Louisiana tomorrow. I will tow your van to uh, Jackson, Mississippi, and we'll, I'll get it fixed. And then you guys go to your funeral, come back, 
drive to Jackson. Your, your van will be waiting for you. Just leave my car there, and you guys can, can go home. How's that sound? And all of a sudden, you know, everything changed. You know, my mom is just so ecstatic and happy. And this guy did. He went and got his own personal car, gave it to us, didn't even know us. You know, at this time, it's like 11 o'clock at night, goes and gets his car. We get in this old Buick, and we get in there. We drive to Louisiana. We get to Louisiana about 3 a.m. in the morning. We wake up. We do the funeral. We do the whole thing. We take a little nap. We get back in this guy's Buick. We take it to, to Jackson, Mississippi, and there it is. There's our Windstar van waiting for us fixed. And you know, we try, my dad tried to give the guy you know, money. I mean, obviously, he paid him for his tow, but he tried to say, hey, man, you, you let us like, rent your car for a couple days. Here, let me, let me pay you. The guy wouldn't even accept it. The guy said, nope, not, a, not an issue, not a problem. I mean, how trusting, how generous, how kind of that man. I mean, that's, that's really, really great. But, but here's, here's what's crazy to me. You know, I mean, really, you know, thinking about this as an adult, because I even called my dad this week, and I I said, hey, I remember that story. You know, I just remember being anxious, so I blacked out a little bit. So could you tell me that story again? And even today, to this day, I mean, my dad, when he tells that story, he starts crying. He goes, Michael, that man was our guardian angel. I mean, that was just unbelievably kind. And so that, that story still sticks out to us. But looking back on it now, I'm like, you know, my dad, he, he really should have done some vetting of this guy, you know? Like, I mean, before we accepted this generous offer, I mean, we took this guy's car, and I, we didn't even know who he voted for, <laughs> you know? We didn't even know who he voted for. What if he was a Democrat, you know? And we, you know, we, we didn't ask the guy his sexual orientation or anything like that, you know? We don't even know if he was a Christian. Isn't that interesting, though, how when you're in need, you don't ask those questions. All you care about is that the person is there and they're willing to help you. And, you know, and he didn't vet us. We could have been psychopaths. We could have been a family of murderers, you know? Who knows? We could have been Catholic. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And he, the guy didn't ask us anything. Didn't ask us anything like that, you know? We're going to get to that later, but, but, but here's my point. It's impossible not to like the person who is nothing like us, but still helps us and wants nothing in return. More on that in a little bit. If you're just joining us, we are in part four of our series called Finding Jesus. And what we're talking about is there are a lot of people today who are leaving the faith, deconstructing their faith, because they're hung up on, you know, well, is the Bible true? Is God real? And, you know, the hypocrisy of the church. There's so many docu documentaries and, and film and things that are out there about, you know, the hypocrisy of the church. And I get it. I mean, I, I fully understand. I mean, I grew up in church, and I would even say I've deconstructed, but reconstructed my faith. But the thing is, and the good news is that Christianity doesn't rise and fall on the accuracy or the inerrancy of Scripture. Christianity rise and falls on an individual, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Without Jesus, we would even have a, the Bible, especially in our hands, because I don't think there's too many Judeans here. I think we're all mostly Gentiles, and so it's about Jesus. And the foundation of our faith, we say this all the time here at Anchor Hope Church, the foundation of our faith is an event. It's about the cross and the resurrection that's what, we, that's what we stand behind. That's why we, we follow Jesus is because of what Jesus did. 
And so when it comes to questions of, you know, is the Bible true, is God real, those are really off-ramp questions, right? Those just lead, those are fun to talk about, they just lead you away. The real question we need to ask, and this is the question we're asking in this series, is, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, any one of them, a reliable account of actual events? Because if it, if any one of them is true, if it, what any one of them is accurate about Jesus and who they say Jesus is and what they say Jesus did, well then game on. Then we have a reason to lean in, to not walk away. Because if what they say about Jesus is true, every single one of these gospel accounts ends the same way, that Jesus died on the, sins, or died on the cross for our sins and was raised again three days later. Man, if that's what he did for us, and if that's what he did for you, then don't walk away. Don't, don't worry about if Noah really got two of every kind on the boat. I mean, that's, that's fun to talk about, but that's not what our faith hinges on. It hinges on Jesus. It's about Jesus. And so we've been looking at just Luke. We've been talking about Luke, and Luke was a doctor. He was not one of the 12 disciples, but he knew a lot of the guys who were there and a lot of the people and a lot of the females who were there as well. And so Luke, he starts his gospel differently than anybody else. He's writing a, a letter to Theophilus, and this is what he says. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And, and then he says, just as they were handed down to us by those who were firsthand witnesses and servants of the word. So he goes, look, many people have tried to do this, which was... A miracle in itself, because not many people from this point in time even had accounts written of their life. Caesar didn't even have accounts of his life. Pilate didn't have accounts written of his life. But for some reason, all of these people are writing some firsthand accounts or investigation on the life of Jesus. Why? Because he did something incredible, and he did something extraordinary, and he did something good. And if it's good for them, it's probably good for us. And so he's writing this account, and we talked about John the Baptist, and last week we talked about when Jesus met Peter and, and Peter's life. And there's one thing that I want to take you back to that he said to, to Peter's village. Remember this, he said this. He said, I, I must go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns, because that is why I was sent. This is the mission statement of Jesus. I am here to proclaim the good news news. And I, I made a, a comment last week that stuck with some of you. I said, if the original, if, if the version of faith that you follow isn't good news, it's probably not the original version. Because it has always been the good news. Should have never turned into the bad news. It is the good news. It is good for you. It may not always agree with you. It may not always agree with your heart. It may not always agree with your selfishness. It may not always agree with what you are feel inclined to do, but it is what is best for you. It is the good news. It is what is good for you. God wants what is good. And so Jesus is on this mission. We're at this point in Luke where you know his ministry is just taken off. John the Baptist is, has been arrested by this time, but he's, he's got Peter and, and Peter and, and, and James and some of the people who were there and saw the miracle he performed with Peter start to follow Jesus. And so now Jesus has kind of got a posse. He's kind of got a following. He's teaching. He's preaching. So uh, when we get to chapter 10 of Luke, this is what happens next. It says, on one occasion, an expert of the law, and if you don't know, the law is talking about the Old Testament law, not like the, the, the laws like we have today. It's the, the, the Old Testament Judean law. So this is an expert of the law, and he stood up to test Jesus. And he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this guy, 
He was a, an expert in the law. He was asking this question for, for two reasons. Number one, he was genuinely curious because not a lot of people knew anything about heaven or eternity or anything like that. And so, you know, Jesus, you know, we talked about last week, the, the thrust of Jesus's ministry is not what he did. It's who he claimed to be. He claimed to be God in human form. He claimed to be have all the authority on earth and in heaven. And so, I mean, hey, I mean, if that's that's even a little bit true. Now's a good time to talk about heaven. You know what I mean? So he's genuinely curious because he wants to know he's going to make it, right? He wants to know that his seat, his seat is saved, his ticket is punched, and, and he is going to actually be in heaven when he dies. But also, too, he, he's trying to trip Jesus up because Jesus, while he made a lot of these claims, a lot of people were a little skeptical, you know, because at the same time, Jesus is also claiming that the old laws have been fulfilled, and that he is the fulfillment of these laws, and that he is bringing something new, almost to replace these old laws, and so that's a pretty bold statement, and so he's testing, but he's curious. So this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus is so smart. He turns to the guy and goes, oh, you're, you're, you're a pretty smart guy. You're, you're an expert of the law. Why don't you tell me what it says? And, and, and here's the thing. At this point in time, Jesus is already talking about this, this new covenant, this new command, where he starts to tell people everywhere he goes to, to love God and to love people. And that you can't love God without loving people, and you can't love people without the love of God. And so this new covenant, this new command, this new movement that he's bringing, this is basically how I, how I put it. Love for God is demonstrated by love for others. And nobody had really heard this. This was brand new, right? Love for God is demonstrated by love for others. So there's a lot of questions here. And, and so the, the man, he, he answers this way. He said, oh, I'm sorry, we've got to go back. Uh, there's another verse. Oh, we missed a verse. All right, so here's what the man says. The man says, to love, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But, he goes, and, and this is very important, because that whole first part of love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that was all in the law. That's found in Deuteronomy. But the lawyer adds a little bit to that. The lawyer says, and love your neighbor as yourself, which was a little sign that he had been around at many other times when Jesus had been teaching right? And so he kind of is like trying to tell Jesus, like, I've been listening. I've heard your whole spiel. So I'm going to say what the law says, but I've also heard you say that it's very important to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus, he says, you have answered correctly, which Jesus didn't say very often at all. But the guy nailed it. He, he, he did. He took what was there and he's correct. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, do this and you will live. And again, here is another example of a time when Jesus, just like with Peter, just like how John said, he, did, he doesn't say, believe this and you will live. He says, do, right? Do this and you will live. Because that's what we talked about week two. It's all about having an active faith. It's about doing, not believing. And so he says this and the man, man gets it all right. But then something happens. The lawyer wanted to justify himself. The man, the lawyer, the expert of the law, all of a sudden, though, he wanted to justify himself. And do you know what that means? Because we all do this. But, but, but let, me, let me just make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to. And this is what he says. He says, but he wanted to justify himself. And he goes, but, but who is my neighbor, though, Jesus? 
You do this sometimes, right? I get these emails sometimes. I, I read this in Scripture. I know what Jesus says, but, you know, exactly what does that mean? Like, you know, like, and this is the question. When we ask this kind of question, this is the question we're really asking, right? This, the question we're really asking is, what is the minimum amount of neighbor loving I have to do in order to inherit the kingdom of God? Right? That's, I mean, I've got this question all the time. Every, that's why Mike's saying amen, because every pastor has gotten this. Like, could you tell me where the bar is? Could you tell me? I want to make sure I get to heaven. That's very important to me. So just could you tell me, what's the minimum amount of neighbor loving that I have to do? So he's asking, who is my neighbor? Who is that? Because to the Judeans, a neighbor was just another Judean. I mean, if you read everything about the 613 Old Testament commands, I mean, it's pretty much we are these people and we will only take care of our people. And we will stay inside of this circle and we don't need to worry about those people. We don't need to worry about them. Actually, we're going to stay contained. We're going to stay away from them. And this was such an important question. It's the reason that when Luke heard this story, he goes, i I got to write this down. This is an important part because the point is this. What loving your neighbor looked like revealed what God is like. Right? So this was very, very important. This was so crucial, not just for them, but this is why Luke wrote this down when he wrote Theophilus. He goes, oh, I know you weren't there, and this may not even apply to you, but, man, you, you got to know this because this is so important because what loving your neighbor looks like, it reveals exactly what God is like. And so Jesus did this a lot. He didn't answer the question directly. He told a parable, which a parable is like a a sermon illustration. It's a made-up story. It's a pastor story, right? So this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, immediately, this means nothing to you, but immediately to the people who are listening, they're like, oh, I know that road. Oh, I know that journey. That's a rough one because it was, it, it was rough and it was, it was rocky terrain and it was hard to travel through. And it was, it was a great spot for, for criminals and robbers to be waiting for people. So everybody, as soon as he says this road, they're like, oh, yeah, we know that road. That's a dangerous road. That's a dangerous route to take. So there's famili- familiarity already. And then Jesus goes on. And he goes, so a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And again, everybody had context for this story. They understood that, oh, that, that road, I mean, my goodness, yeah, if you, if, you, if you beat somebody up and they were left half dead, they were, they were probably going to die. Because, I mean, if you, if you didn't make it past that road, but by the time the sun went down, I mean, probably the animals would eat you. You'd probably uh, get very cold and, and maybe even freeze to death. So, I mean, they're all very aware, yes, this path is very dangerous. And, oh, my goodness, if somebody robbed you and left you for dead, you are not probably going to make it without some sort of assistance because of just, you know, the, the elements. Oh, so, I mean, they're, they're just pulled in to this, this drama, this dramatic story that, that Jesus is telling. And then Jesus says this. He says, but a Samaritan. Now, again, you guys probably don't have much context for this. But remember, he's talking to a group of Judeans, right? He's talking to a group of Judeans, and Judeans and Samaritans were enemies with one another. Samaritans were looked at 
It's bottom feeders. They were the worst of the worst. They were the low of the low. I mean, when Judeans got together and somebody said a Samaritan, they're like, oh, Samaritans. You know what I mean? Oh, they're the worst. We hate Samaritans. Oh, I hope my daughter never marries a Samaritan. I would never allow her to marry a Samaritan because they're such bad people. I mean, they're just looked at as dirt. So Jesus, he's telling this story, and he says, but a Samaritan. Because if you don't know the story, and most of you, you probably grew up on it, when the man is left half dead, all of a sudden a Judean priest comes by, one of his neighbors, and the Judean priest sees him, and he goes to the other side, right? And he doesn't help him. And then a Levite, which is a Judean neighbor, a, a Levite comes up by and sees him, and he crosses to the other side. So these two neighbors, Judean brothers, they see him, and they leave him for dead. And then Jesus says, but a Samaritan comes by. And everybody's leaning in. What's he going to say about Samaritans? And this is what he says. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, I'm going to do something. This might be a bad idea, right? Especially with my former youth pastor here. This is a really bad idea. Um, I, just, I don't think you understand the weight of what the difference between a Samaritan and a Judean and how much Judeans you know, thought low of, of Samaritans. And so I, just, I, I need you to understand the context of how they all felt hearing this. And so I just thought I'd throw something in there that would make you feel as uncomfortable as the Judeans felt, okay? So I'm just going to make my own Michael translation of the Bible right now and just kind of create. And I'm not, I'm not making a political comment or anything like that. I just want to make you feel uncomfortable because I feel... I like that. Anyway, um, so let's look at it like this. But a transgender person, as they traveled, came where the man was, and when they saw him, they took pity on him. So let's say Jesus is standing here at Anchored Hope telling this parable, and we're like, Jesus, how far do we have to go to love our neighbor? And he tells a parable, and he, he says, but a transgender person came in. See that uncomfortableness that you feel right now, right? That's how they felt. But Jesus was doing it for a reason. Jesus was trying to make them uncomfortable, and I'm trying to make you uncomfortable on purpose. Yes. So, the point of it, the point of it was this. He, he says this, he goes, And then the, the Samaritan, he, he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And again, right, I mean, context, these people, they're so uncomfortable about, oh, Jesus is going to make the Samaritan a hero, a hero to my Judean brother. Oh, this is, this is awful. And then they hear this, and he used oils, and he bandaged his wounds, and they're just, I mean, they got the Amber Heard face on. They're like, ugh, <laughs> you know, ugh. I'm so uncomfortable. You know, they're so uncomfortable because they're like, Samaritan wouldn't do that. Samaritan wouldn't. They wouldn't. They wouldn't do that. I know. I know a lot of Samaritans. I've never seen one that nice. They wouldn't do that. But I mean, now Jesus is creating this. I mean, they, they spent money on this person. They used their, the materials to be able to, to bandage this man. How, how, the Samaritan is such a hero. But Jesus does not stop there. And then Jesus goes on and he goes, says this. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And now people are just going like, this is, 
you guys know this is a made-up story, right? Jesus didn't actually see this. This is fake news. Jesus is making this all up. It's not very realistic. Samaritans are not like this. Take the children away. We are leaving this church, and we're going to a different one, you know? I mean, they're really bothered about this. There's nobody that is captivated at this point. They're just bothered. They do not like this because Jesus is, is using this as an illustration. It's uncomfortable for everybody. But again, Jesus doesn't stop. Then... The next day, he took out two denarii. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. If you don't know what this is, two denarii, this is two weeks' wages at this point in time. So this guy, he pulls out two weeks' wages, and he says to the innkeeper, look after him. And again, everybody in the crowd, they're like, I t- I've never met a Samaritan this nice. This is stupid. This is a terrible illustration. Samaritans are bad people. They, oh, I, I can't believe this guy. This is a terrible story. And Jesus, he finishes up and he says, and then the Samaritan, he says to the innkeeper, and when I return, when I return, so he's coming back. Oh, what a nice Samaritan he is. Jeez, Jesus. I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you have. So Jesus is telling this story, and he's like, oh, this Samaritan, he's a hero. He bandaged him. He saved him. And then he went the extra mile. He, 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 he paid for his expenses. He gave two weeks' worth wages to the innkeeper, and he, he told the guy, and if he wants anything extra, if he needs extra towels, if he needs candy, if he needs food, if he would like his pillows fluffed, please, please, please take care of him. And everybody is just, I mean, people are walking off at this point. People are bothered because they dislike Samaritans that much because they have such a prejudice against Samaritans. And that was the point. Jesus didn't insert that Samaritan there in order to make people believe that he agreed with all Samaritans or he was for Samaritans or anything like that. He was doing it to make them uncomfortable because he knew how he, they felt about Samaritans. The same reason I put that word transgender in there because I know how uncomfortable that word makes you feel. And here's the thing that Jesus was doing, and this is the reason why Luke wrote it down for us. It's because Jesus forces us to examine our prejudices for people who aren't like us. Because in your head, if you were there in the context, or if Jesus was here today, he could throw any kind of group in there. He could throw any kind of name in there. He could replace Samaritan with with whatever. And you would probably sit there in the audience and you would say this. You would say, a Samaritan would never do that. A Democrat would never do that. A Republican would never do that. A woman would never do that. A criminal, a criminal would never do that. An addict would never do that. And Jesus would look at you as you said that in your heart and in your mind. And Jesus would say, that's, that's the point. The way you feel about that group or that person or that race, that way that you feel towards them, let me let you on to something. That's the way people feel about you Christians. Because the truth is, if Jesus came, he wouldn't show up at Anchored Hope Church. He'd go to Walmart, he'd go to Heckler's, he'd go to Target. He'd start preaching. He'd call everybody around. And you know, the truth is that if Jesus was around our community telling the story, preaching to people, he'd say, I got a story for you. 
He would say, there's this guy who's on 47 at that terrible intersection there, right, right over the, the highway. You know how it is. And everybody, like, yeah, we know how it is. It's terrible. And he gets hit, and everybody left him for dead. But then, but then a Christian, as he traveled, came where the, where man, where the, uh, came where the man was and took pity on him. And do you know in 2022 what everybody would say? They'd say, Christian wouldn't do that. That's not what Christians do. This is a made-up story. Christians would thump you over the head with a Bible first, Jesus. Before Jesus, but Jesus, before a Christian even helped me, they'd ask me my sexual orientation, where I voted, and if I'm pro-vaccine or not. That's what a Christian is in 2022. So, now that you understand the context and you're all quiet and uncomfortable, let's get back to the story. So Jesus, he turns to the expert and he says this, he goes, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And, and the real question that Jesus was asking, the real question that Jesus was asking is this, which of the three loved God with all their heart, mind, strength by loving the stranger as himself? That was the real question Jesus was asking. Which of these three fulfilled what is needed to inherit the kingdom of God? And the expert, the expert he says this, he goes, the one who had mercy on him. Yeah, he couldn't say Samaritan. He couldn't even say Samaritan. That's how prejudiced and racist he was. He couldn't even say the Samaritan, Lord. He had to say the guy who was good. The hero of the story, Jesus. That's who it was. He couldn't even say it. But Jesus made everybody who was listening face their prejudices. And tells them exactly who their neighbor is. And then Jesus looks at the expert and he says, go and do likewise. How do I inherit the kingdom of God? This is what it looks like. Go and do this and you will live. Another way we could put it is this. Go, go and do for people who don't like you, who aren't like you and who can give you nothing in return. See, here was the point. The, the point that Jesus was trying to make is that when it comes to Christians, when it comes to followers of Christ, Christians should be the heroes of people's stories, not the villains. And you know this, and I know this. Every single one of you who are deconstructing your faith or who have your hand on the door and are thinking of leaving the faith, part of the reason you are doing that is because there was a Christian who was the villain in your story. And it was a seasoned Christian. It was somebody who had been there a long time. And you were going through something. And you were hurting or you had made a mistake. And the Christian you knew, the Christian you looked up to, is not the hero of your story. They ended up being the villain. And again, like most cases, it's not Jesus. That's the problem. It's the Christians. 
And Jesus, he knows how crucial this is. Jesus knows how important this is. He's saying to them, look, if you, you, number one, want to inherit the kingdom of God, you have to do this. But the the other thing is this, is that in order to to be a part of the kingdom of God, this is what it looks like. It, It looks like loving people who don't like you, who are nothing like you. And the biggest part is not wanting anything in return. And as Christians, it's important that we are the heroes of people's stories, not the villains. It's important that we as Christians are the Samaritan that comes along and helps people when they are in need, bandages their wounds, and yes, gives them more than they deserve. Because we are not the judges. That is God's job. It is God's job to judge people, to move people, to change people, to straighten people out. It is the Christian's job to be the Samaritan that picks up the wounded person off the side of the road. Period. And it is the Christian who says, I will sacrifice for them, I will give what I have for them, and I will be back tomorrow if needed. That is what comes before everything else. And so here's the thing. And every non-Christian or deconstructed faith person will really, really appreciate this part. Here's the thing. As Christ followers, as Christ followers, this is required of us to enter into the kingdom of God. It is required of us. This is not debatable. This is not black and white. This is not gray. This is what the king says is needed in order to enter into his kingdom. And guess what? There will be no discussion about it when you meet him. This will be it. It's black and white. If you call yourself Christ's follower, if you are looking to inherit the kingdom of God, this is what is required of us. No debate. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. But it is what is necessary. I didn't make it up. It's not part of Anchored Hope's mission statement. It's what Jesus said. And everything that we believe in rises and falls on him. So, I'm sorry. But the good news... For anybody here who's on the fence, for anybody watching or listening that has deconstructed their faith and is saying, I don't know, I'm not sure, I don't know if Jesus is really what's best for me, I don't know, I don't know about us. Here's the thing, I just want you to imagine something with me for a minute, okay? Imagine a world where everybody is the good Samaritan to everybody. Imagine a world where we can vote differently, we can believe differently, we can have healthy disagreements on whatever it may be, and we can still love each other, even if we're different from one another. No matter our past, no matter our skin color, no matter who we're affiliated with, no matter our sexual identity, whatever it may be, imagine a world where we may disagree, and it's okay to have disagreements, folks but where we still love one another like the way Christ loved us. And I know what you're thinking. I'll probably get an email about it. But that's unrealistic. I know. And that's why heaven is needed. But in the meantime, because this is what heaven will look like, and this is practice for heaven, and we won't. We won't get it perfect. 
We won't get it perfect. And yes, there will be people that will come up in power and will manipulate it and try to turn us against each other and all that. It happens all the time. I understand that it's unrealistic. But imagine for a moment that at least the Christians got it right. That at least we as Christ followers did what our Jesus told us to do. Again, I know it's not what you see very often. But this is the original version. And the original version is the good version. And that is who we are trying to be. So, let me ask you something. What are your prejudices? Who would it be? What skin color? What past? What identification? What group would it be? That if they walked in here and they sat down, you would have a hard time going and saying, hello, my name is. Who is it that you would friend on Facebook and the moment they said that they believe this or they, they were with this group or this is what they thought or whatever, that you would defriend them and you'd say, I'm not having anything to do with that person. I'm not going to small group with that person. I'm not going to a church where they let people like that in there. Who would it be? Because every single one of you have a Samaritan in your heart. And here's the thing. The activity of God. What God wants to do in your life next. May hinge on you surrendering your prejudice to him. And saying, God, this is what I've experienced. This is what I know. This is what I think is going to happen. And nine times out of ten, when it comes to this group or these people, I'm always right. But you know what, Lord? You are king. And even though I think this about this topic and these people, because you say so, Lord, I will. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, would you examine each one of our hearts this morning? Would you this morning knock on that door and say, hello? I know, I know your heart. I know your mind. I know your thoughts. I know what you think. I know your hang-ups. I know when you talk about them, when you talk about they, when this comes up, I know how you feel in your heart. I know you have a hard time demonstrating the love of God to this group. And there's a problem for that. Because I've always loved you through your stuff. And you have not been perfect. And if I'm going to be willing to love you as I have already, telling you what my kingdom looks like, you need to be willing to love them. So are you willing to do that? And look, here's the thing. I don't, I don't want you to just love them. I want you to go out of your way. I want you to go the extra mile. 
I want you to give them what they don't deserve. I want you to trust them even though they may not be trustworthy. I want you to do it out of faith. I don't want you to vet them. I don't want you to examine. I don't want you to judge. I just, I need you to go and do likewise. And God, that's going to be hard for every single one of us. Some of us are going to have a real hard time doing that. And I would bet in the near future, you're going to send somebody like that our way. (laughs) You're going to send me somebody from that group, from that party, and you are going to test me. God, would you help me to pass that test? Would you help me to love that person? Not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, but because you first loved me. Would you do a work in me from the inside out? Would you work on my heart? Would you change me? And would you give me the strength and the wisdom to do as you say? Not because I agree with it, Lord, but because you say so. Because you say so, Lord, is why I do. So would you help me to go and do likewise? In your name we pray. Amen.